right, welcome to the Table Church. My name is Cody, and I get to be the pastor here, and we are glad that you have gathered with us today. Um, today we're in Ruth chapter 2. Um, if you picked up one of the Bibles on the way in today, that's going to be on page 222 and 223. And if not, don't worry about it. Um, we'll have it on the screen for you. And then also, if you don't have a Bible, if you're brand new here, don't have a Bible, um, please feel free to pick one of those up um, on your way out. We want you to have the Word of God in your hands, in your home. So um, we're going to be going through all of chapter 2 today. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 7 to get us started. So here we go. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. If you're a note taker or you like to highlight in your Bible, that's a name you want to underline right there because he's a key figure in this little story. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, another word you might want to highlight there. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to, guess who? Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. See, so they're out there in the field. He's in the city. He comes from the city, comes from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Like, it looks like, like, a, like this shining light, like this, this light of, um, like a point of light, like some positivity in this story that has been pretty dark thus far. The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his, this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Oh, so Ruth has caught his eye. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Evidently, people have been talking about Ruth in the community. Verse 7, she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Lord Jesus, we, put, we pray that you would help us to see that, um, that you provide opportunities. That God, you are orchestrating the opportunities that are before us. That God, your heart goes out um, to the widow and to the orphan, to the underprivileged, to the poor. Um, and God, we pray that you would... Um, help us to have a heart like Boaz um, toward um, others um, in need. God, I pray that um, you would draw us close. God, we pray that, that for the, those who have come in today that um, they, are, um, they, they do feel outside of your community. God, I pray that you would bring them in today. God, that you would give them a seat at your table. God, save our friends. Help us to be about your business and going out and after others. We ask this in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, again, um, my name is Cody. I get to be the pastor here, and we are so glad that you are here with us. Um, I'm a fan of a guy named John Piper. For those of you who um, know who that is, you're probably thinking that's awesome. Um, for those of you who don't know who that is, it doesn't mean anything at all. Um, but um, John Piper just released a book called Providence, it's like his magna opus. I don't even know if that's a real word, but anyway, that's what he released. It's like a thick book. 
Like I, I was kind of intimidated to order the book, but I did. It's like a 700-pager. It's like J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, except it's theology. It's not fiction. And um, so I, I read this. I, I got it, and then I, I did a brave thing last night. I started reading it, and already I'm quoting from the book in the sermon. Here's what he says. And the book is called Providence. It's talking about God's sovereignty over all of the events of our lives. Here's what he says in the introduction. I haven't even got to the first chapter yet. This is just in the introduction. I love this. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in every act of providence. And that's an understatement. Each of those 10,000 things is intended. Which means God has millions and millions of goals every hour. And he accomplishes all of them. And we don't know most of them. God is doing things all the time. God is doing all the things all the time. And we only see a fraction of it. God orchestrates our opportunities. It's God who is behind that. It's God, like even in the tragedy, even in the hurt, even in the suffering, as we have spent time in the first two weeks of this series, in all of this tragedy that has befallen Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law. But last week we saw just a glimmer of hope that, that Ruth, that God had got a hold of her heart, that God had changed her heart, and she decides not to go back to her gods, but she stays with Naomi and she goes forward. And she's uncertain of the future. And we're going to see more of, we're going to see some reasons why for that, why that uncertainty she experienced. We're going to see that today in this passage in Ruth 2. It was, it was dangerous for her to go back to Israel. It was not exactly safe. So, what is happening is God is orchestrating the opportunities and we see in this chapter that she happened. She happened to come to Boaz's part of the field. And here's what it says. Well, what does it mean part of the field? Like, we... we, we we don't organize our lives like they did in ancient Israel. Like, like we, we like to have our own stuff with like our fences around it. Like um, here in um, Arizona, um, we have like privacy walls, like brick fence in your backyards, right? I grew up in Oklahoma where it's just chain link. You got to see everything that your neighbors were doing. All right? Chain link. You could climb the chain link fence. It was dangerous, but you could do it. Um, so they it was just kind of all, we're, we're kind of, compartmentalized and wardened off in this day they would have had a community field that everybody would have gathered in but there that section of the field would be marked by stones boundary markers and they'd say okay this section right here marked by these stones this is boaz that's why it says that she happened to boaz's part of the field she happened to come to that she went to where all of the people who would have been gleaning all the reapers would have went to the same spot but she got to this one certain part of the field, and it happened to be Boaz's part of the field. Now, here's the thing. She doesn't have a clue who Boaz is. She don't have a clue who that is. But this is important because he is a relative of Elimelech. Now, this is going to come into play next week when we talk more about this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And the word for Hebrew is called goel. Now, we're going to talk about that more next week, but Boaz has the credentials 
to be the kinsman redeemer. God is orchestrating the opportunities for Naomi and for Ruth. He is putting this all together. Okay? So let's go ahead and look at this a little bit more. Ruth is living up to her word. She's doing what she said she would do. Remember last week she says, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. That was basically Ruth's profession of faith. She was leaving her life behind. She was going with Naomi. She wasn't a convert to Naomi. She was a convert to Yahweh God. She had said, I'm going to, I believe in your God, and because I believe in your God, I'm going to go with you. I would rather serve your God, be next to you, and learn about your God, and go that way, even though it may mean more disadvantage for me than I would not knowing your God, not knowing you, leaving you, and going back to a life of prosperity. That's a mark of conversion. And I would encourage you that if you haven't had a conversion experience like that, if you're just kind of like tiptoeing around the family of God, I want you to know that you can be a member of God's family. You don't have to remain a guest. You can have a seat at the table, which we're going to see here in just a little bit. But Ruth, she's had this conversion, and because of that, she's doing what she said she would do. She's going to a land that's uncertain. And it happened, she happened to glean in Boaz's part of the field. God orchestrated that. She did, like... She didn't get there by accident. She may not have known everything that was going on, but God orchestrated her steps. God was the one who picked her senses and told her where to go, even though she wasn't aware of it. God orchestrated that. God wrote, he woke Ruth up that morning and guided her to that field. God woke Boaz up that morning and brought him to his field while Ruth was there. God developed the character, the integrity of Boaz over many years through some tragedies, no doubt, to bring him to this moment. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, so now he, so Boaz has been asking about Ruth, now he talks to Ruth. I just want to pause right here because this is where I want you to get to. I want you to know that you have been on God's heart and on God's mind Since the day of your birth, before the day of your birth. He has known you, he has planned, he has orchestrated all of those things for this moment right here today. He knows the plans that he has for you. You are not here by accident. You are not here because you ate a bad burrito last night. And you're just praying for some deliverance. It ain't that. God has, maybe it is that. God orchestrated that bad burrito too. Okay? He gave you that bad burrito to bring you to this point. All right? But I want you to know that I, I, I don't want you to stop. I don't want your story to stop with God talking about you. I want God to talk to you. And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. I love that. My daughter. This is tender. Language. This is gentle language. This is welcoming. This is this is familial language. Now remember, she's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. She's not a daughter 
of Israel socially. But Boaz cuts through all of that and he says, Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. Like he's, he's metaphorically wrapping his arms around her, providing for her, protecting her. But keep close to my young women. He's bringing her into community. He's bringing her into a safe space. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Oh, now we see some of the danger. As a Moabite woman coming into this, as a woman, as a Moabite, she didn't have the rights, the protections. He orders the young men not to touch her. Oh, there's danger. We can assume that there's probably danger of sexual assault. But Boaz says, no, no, no. That ain't happening in my field. That's not happening with my people. I've ordered them. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So he's providing water. He's providing an opportunity for her to glean. Now, here's what gleaning means. God had set up in his law a system that the poor, the disadvantaged, the widow, the orphan could be taken care of. What he said was, and this, you find this back in Deuteronomy, that God had set the law up. He says, listen, don't harvest. He's telling this to the landowners, to the people who have means. He says, don't take every grain, every kernel out of your field. Don't, don't harvest and don't reap all the way to the edge of your field. Leave some, leave room, and let that be provision for the poor, for the disadvantaged in your society. So there's a couple of different ways he could have said this. He could have said, go ahead and get it all, and then set this part aside, and then divvy it out. He didn't do that. He said, no, 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 the poor, the disadvantaged, they need to have the dignity, the right to work and to go and glean just as our reapers are doing. They need to have that. They don't need to just have the handout. They need to be able to go and do that. God says that work is it's a good thing. That work itself is not a curse. Now, our work is cursed. It's harder. If you go back into Genesis, he says, listen, the land's not just going to yield up its produce for you as easy as anymore. But he never said that, that work itself is the curse. I think that so many of us have this idea that, that no, 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 we, we think that, no, well, I have to work because of sin. But one of these days, I, I, you know, I'm not going to have to work. What is that called? Retirement? Does retirement naturally get away of your, get your sin taken care of? No. We, we still have, like, work itself is not the curse. It's not good. It's not good for us to not work. So he makes a, a way, an opportunity for work, even though they're poor, disadvantaged. He sets that up in his law. Boaz, recognizing that, provides a safe space for her to do this. But, he, but she was in danger, and Boaz knew it. So Boaz uses the resources at his disposal to protect and to provide for Ruth and for Naomi. 
his land, his crop yield, his young men for protection, water from his vessels. He gives, and not only that, not only does he, he give her protection and provision, but he gives her place. He gives her community. And we see it when he says, my daughter. She is brought in verbally. She is brought in emotionally. She is brought in psychologically and spiritually. Family. This is family language. Boaz is expressing the outward posture of God. The outward facing posture of God. The mercy and the grace of God that is searching for opportunities to manifest itself. Boaz is expressing that. What Boaz is doing is he's passing along the mercy and the grace that he's been showed. He's passing along the provision and the protection and the place that he's been given. And let me tell you where the application comes for us. You and I, as members of the household of God, the grace of God does not terminate with us. It is We are meant to be vessels where the grace and mercy of God flows through, not just to capture it. You got to start thinking of yourself as a funnel, not just a jug. It's you it, the mercy and grace of God are supposed to flow through us to others. And Boaz is a beautiful picture of that. So let me ask you this. What about you? What mercy and grace has been shown to you? What opportunities has God given to you? What opportunities has God orchestrated for you? And what grace do you have that you can also pay it forward? What opportunities do you have to show that grace and mercy toward others? Who can you be Boaz toward? Who, who is in your life that you can give provision and protection and place that you can offer community to. Verse 10, look at the reaction of Ruth. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Do you see how, like Ruth, her identity is still outside. Her identity is, I'm outside of the family of God. And her response to Boaz's favor, it, it's fitting. It, it's not surprising. She's basically saying, why are you doing this for me? I, I'm not one of you. Why have you noticed me? See, here's the thing. Gra- God's grace, the grace of God, the mercy of God, it is shocking to its initiates. When you become aware of your sin and how your sin separates you from God, that you are outside of the family of God, and you wonder, is there any way that I can ever be, can I, can I know this God? Is, is that possible when you're so overwhelmed by that? And then you hear that Jesus has taken all of your sin, that he has taken it all away, that he's paid for all of it on the cross, that he welcomes you into his family. That is shocking that is scandalous that ought to move us to bow to the ground in in humility 
It's not uncommon when you explain the gospel to, to someone that, 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 that they, when they hear it, to someone who is aware that they're outside, that they're, away, that they're in need of grace, and they don't think that they ever can be really, really reconciled with the God of the universe, it's not uncommon for them to say, this is too good to be true. The common response is to say, no, 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 I've got to do something. I have to add something to this. There are religions, major world religions, based upon that presupposition that it is Jesus has given you all kinds of grace, but you also got to add something to it. Let me tell you something. The second you start trying to sprinkle in your little paltry, horrible, rotten, stinking works, and you start trying to add to the glorious, sumptuous feast of the grace of God, you ruin it. You screw it up. Quit trying to screw it up. Your works are never going to make it better. Don't do that. You Don't adulterate the grace of God. You can stay in that shock and in that awe, and you can say, why would you ever show this kind of grace to me? That's fine. But don't say, hey, I'm going to add a little bit to it. Because you'll mess it up. There's a whole book in the New Testament called Galatians that's written on this. And I'm telling you, the whole book is Paul yelling at a church like I've been doing to you. He's saying, quit screwing it up. You're trying to add works to it, and it's not making it better. You can't add to it. You can't add to it. So, Boaz answers her. Verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband, death of your husband, has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth did what she said she would do back in chapter 1. Where you go, Naomi, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth is doing what she said she would do. And why? Why did she do what was not going to afford her, in her mind, more opportunity? Because God does what He says He will do. We know this. We we go to the New Testament and we look at The very first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And early on, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus. And who is Jesus? The guy who died for our sins, the only perfect sacrifice that could have truly redeemed us. 
taken away our sin, taken away our approach, taken away our guilt. The only one who could truly do that, Jesus. And it talks about his line and Ruth and Boaz are in that genealogy. God is doing 10,000 things. Ruth and Boaz only knew a couple of them. He saved her. God has saved her. He said that he would provide for Israel. His heart runs to the widow and the orphan. And he has brought her into his family. And now that spiritual reality that happened on the road out of Moab is now manifesting itself socially. That this spiritual reality takes place where she's a convert and she is a daughter of Yahweh God. And now she's experiencing brotherly familial love and favor it's this spiritual reality is manifesting itself socially dynamically there's a book that was released um i think sometime in 2020 um called gentle and lowly by a guy named dane ortland um it's a uh, book that is an instant christian classic and I would encourage you, if, if you're a reader, even if you're not a reader, learn to be a reader. Get it anyway. But um, it's just a fantastic book expressing the heart of Christ toward us, even when we don't feel worthy. Even when we've met, like it's just expressing how Jesus' heart runs toward us, even in our sin. Like, you need to get this in your mind. If you don't get the book, at least get this. You may think that when you sin, that Jesus is like giving you like, you know, you know, the, you know, Marshawn Lynch baby stiff arm. No, no, no. It ain't like that. That illustration was not in my notes and that didn't land very well. It's not football season and this is Arizona and we're not Seattle Seahawks fans here. Okay. Take note of that. Never mention Marshawn Lynch again ever in a sermon. Done. Thank you for showing me grace for not getting up and leaving. But uh, but Jesus, his posture toward us when we sin is not to like push us away, but instead to run after us, even when we're running away from him. He is gentle and lowly. His heart moves toward the need of grace, not toward success, not toward perfection. So God orchestrates the opportunities for Ruth because of his covenant promise to his people Israel and for us today. What God is doing in the life of Ruth here has all kinds of reasons behind it. About 70 or 80 of those reasons are right here today. So verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. We could just stop right there and set up communion because (laughs) there it is. But we're not because I got another page of notes to go through here. So here's. He brings her to the table. 
He brings her to the table. This is, it's hospitality. It's giving her place. It's, it, he, had, he, he gave her a place when he gave her protection, when he gave her provision, when he gave her community. He, he gave her place here, but now there's a tangible expression of this. Come here. Have a seat with me, with my reapers, with my servants. Come sit at the table. And she eats until she is satisfied and has some left over. That reminds us of what Jesus, when he, when he you know, he's there, he's, he's preaching to these people, he feeds the 5,000, he's been ministering to them all day. And the disciples say, hey, Lord, dismiss the crowds. They've got to go get something to eat. He goes, you give them something to eat. He goes, well, what we got? We got this little kid's lunch. Got two fish and five loaves. What are we going to do? I don't even know if it's five. It wasn't enough to feed 5,000 people. And Jesus thanks God for it, and he begins to multiply the, the loaves and the fish, and it says they all ate, and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers left over. And they were all satisfied. i got to think that Jesus thought about that, thought about this story here in Ruth when he's doing that, when he just keeps getting into the basket and giving more and more of it out. It's a great picture that God's grace doesn't run out that you can be fully satiated and fully satisfied by it. You're never going to be left lacking. Verse 15, when she arose to glean, Boaz instructed these young men saying, let her glean among the sheep, even among the sheaves. Now, it's interesting, he says even, because this is, he's given her special privilege. This is, he's given her access to more of his provision, not just what's out there on the edges but no, 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 you get to glean among the sheaves, the stuff that the reapers, the harvesters have already gathered up that maybe has been shaken loose a little bit. And we'll give you access to that. And it gets even more. It says, and don't reproach her. Provision, protection, still being spoken over her. And then he says this, tells the young men, and also pull out some from the bundles and leave it for her. He's just providing, providing. Leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. We just see this rhythm of protection, provision, protection, provision, protection, provision coming through with everything that Boaz speaks over her. He, re, he reiterates this, the provision among the sheaves and pull some out of the bundles for her, the protection, do not reproach her. Reminds us of Paul in Romans, that great chapter, Romans chapter 8, where he gets to the end of all this. He's looked at all that God has done for us, and he says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So verse 17. So she, meaning Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from after being satisfied. So she brings her all of the grain and the leftovers from the meal that she enjoyed with Boaz and all of his work crew. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi don't know. Ruth knows that she don't have an idea who he is. But Boaz knew. And now Naomi's fixing to learn. And now Ruth is fixing to learn. 
the significance of where she was, who she met that day. So she told her mother-in-law, this is the middle of verse 19, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead exclamation point star love heart emoji because Naomi knows who he is she knows that he has the qualifications the credentials to become what we're going to talk about next week the Goel the kinsman redeemer she knows who this man is she knows what he is capable of doing and do you see how Naomi's spirits are lifted a little bit here. This is not like what it was when she first came into Bethlehem. They say, Naomi, how have you been? Naomi means pleasant. It means lovely. And what was Naomi's response then? Just a couple of days early. Don't call me that. Don't call me my name. Call me Mara. Bitter. Okay. I guess we're not coming over for supper tonight, Naomi. I'll let you deal with you. You do you. You know. Now, she, like, this hope, she just sees this this hope. Naomi said to her, this man, this man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. Someone who has the capability to redeem us, to restore us, to reconcile us, to get us out of this mess we're in. With this man rests hope. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides all that, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So we can assume that this went on for another couple of weeks, maybe as long as another month or so. Probably not that long. But Ruth is doing what she said she would do. And God is doing what he said he would do. And he is orchestrating these opportunities for this family. But in another sense, God is doing what he never told Ruth and Naomi he would do. He never told them back in Moab, settle down, ladies. You're going to meet Boaz. You're going to go to this field on this day. It's all going to happen. He never says that. But he had it in his mind. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of struggle you're going through right now. And you may be wanting God to tell you the name, tell you the directions, tell you the steps that you're going to... I can just tell you after being a Christian now for you know, 25, 30 years, 
It usually don't work that way, bro. It don't work that way. But he doesn't leave you without. Such is the way of God. He never overpromises and underdelivers. He always underpromises and overdelivers. Yahweh God, this God that Naomi had converted to, is a God of opportunities. He is the God who controls all circumstances and all turns of events and all of the plot twists. He knows it all. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz. She had found place, she had found provision, she had found protection, she had found a seat at the table. You say, well, how does all this link to Jesus? Because Jesus, like Boaz, has a heart that runs toward those in need of grace and mercy. I want to read to you as we wrap this up, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 12. I, th- I'm gonna, this is going to be called a preach read, okay? This is just so good. I'm just going to like read it, but it's going to seem like I'm preaching. I'm quoting this. This is not my own stuff. I can't write this stuff that's good, okay? Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I'm going to tell you right now. Isaiah didn't know it, but he's talking. He's talking about Jesus. This is, this is who, who, who he's foretelling about. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That bruised reed that he don't break, that means that he didn't just look at something and discard it and say, ah, get rid of that. No, no, no. He didn't just break stuff off. He restores, he mends, he heals. That smoldering wick, he didn't just go ahead and put it out. But he coddles it, blows upon it to get the flame going again. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says, the, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord and I have called you in righteousness. I will give you as a covenant for the people. I will take you by the hand and keep you a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. And that word Lord there is Yahweh. What Naomi said and what Ruth has said and what Boaz has said, Yahweh, the personal God, the God who has a name, the God who reaches out to us, I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert 
Praise God, we live in Phoenix. But the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to God and declare His praise to the coastlands. This God, the God that orchestrates all of the opportunities, the God who was behind everything that happened with Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth and Malon and Kilion, all that stuff back there in Moab, orchestrating it all to bless in ways that they had never imagined possible. God orchestrates all of the opportunities. So with all that said, I want to invite you to four different things today. Number one, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus today. I want to invite you to conversion, to convert like like Naomi did. I don't want you to be on the outside of the family. I want you to be inside the family, and so does God. He's made a way from you. He is made a way for your sin to be forgiven. That way you don't have to add any of your good works to it. You can just take Jesus and He is enough. And if you truly mean it, He'll change you. He'll start doing a work on your, in your heart and you'll, you'll just start having different desires. You're not going to become perfect all at once, but you will have an advocate, someone who will always provide for you place and provision and protection, who will never leave you and never forsake you. I want to invite you to know that God today. To say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, that guy says that you'll forgive me. And that sounds like a good deal. I want that. Will you forgive me and will you change me? And if you truly mean that, based on the authority of God's word and what he has done in my life and what I've seen him do in countless others, he will save if you want him. Number two. So I want to invite you to convert. I want to invite you, if you're not ready that, if you have other questions, I want to invite you to a conversation. Tell somebody at the info table or come see me out there in the back. I'm not that hard to miss. Just come, come, come talk to me and let's, set up, let's have a conversation. Number three, for those that you're already Christians, I want to invite you to communion. Boaz invited Ruth to his table where she took the morsel, she dipped it in the wine. We want to invite you to come And take that bread, symbolic of the body of Christ, given for us. His perfect righteousness that has been imputed to us, that have been saved, who have taken His name, that have trusted in Him. And then we drink that that juice, being mindful, being reminded of His death on the cross, that it's by His blood that we have been saved. And we drink that as a tangible reminder As Boaz gave Ruth a tangible reminder of her place, we take communion as a tangible reminder of our place in God's family, saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And then, fourthly, I want to invite all of us to stand. When we're done with communion, people just start popping up. And we want to invite you, even if you're not a convert today, even if you're not ready, but we want to invite you to sing His praise, to give Him glory. He is worthy of all of it. So, invitation to conversion, invitation to a conversation, invitation to communion, and an invitation to sing as a congregation. I'm going to pray for you. 
And we'll let you get started. Jesus, move among your people. Jesus, we pray that you would save those who've been gleaning on the edges of the field. God, we pray that you would bring them to the table today, that you would save by your mercy and your grace, that, Lord, you would shatter any of their pre-presumptions about what they have to do. God, all they have to do is just come to you broken. God, would you save? And then, God, would you help us to have a heart like Boaz, to be sent out, to have a heart toward the widow, toward the orphan, toward the disadvantaged, the way you have a heart toward us. Make us funnels, not jugs. For your glory, we ask it. Amen.